What has the government delivered? Ooh. Yes, I stand by the statement. Slushies! Who made that noise? He let out a little squeak. <laughs> order, order. Point of order, Mr. Speaker. Supplementary. Uh, my uh, question. Supplementary. Supplementary question. And welcome along to Supplementary Question, a politics and current affairs podcast produced by NewsHub Nation. I'm your host, Finn Hogan. Just over two years have passed since New Zealand's darkest day. What I can say is that it is clear that this is one of New Zealand's darkest days. But from tragedy came a pledge to radically reform the internet. World leaders and the world's tech behemoths confronted head-on with the horror of terror in Christchurch that social media helped spread. What I think is ultimately key is that Facebook um, joins this call to action. Signed on the 15th of May, 2019, by tech giants and world leaders alike, the Christchurch call made a bold commitment to eliminate violent and extremist content online. I'm here today with... 51 lives lost in New Zealand, very, very heavy on my mind. The minds in this room are tasked with ensuring it never happens again. An ambitious, almost impossible goal. There's more work to be done in this area. So this week I spoke to those who created the call. This work's critically important. It touches on the lives of every internet user. Our international allies. I'm Henri Verdier, the French ambassador for Digital Affairs. As well as a regulator closer to home who stands to have his power substantially increased. And the Christchurch call is critically important and will be seen in history as something of a turning point. And examine a new debate erupting in Parliament over whether our response to the Christchurch call may end up distorting our discourse and limiting free speech. This bill unnecessarily reduces the fundamental freedoms of New Zealanders. I've been a little bit jumpy about this. All to answer this episode's question. After two years, what has the Christchurch call achieved? The actual text of the Christchurch call is pretty vague. Consider appropriate action to prevent the use of online services. Affirm our willingness to continue to work together in existing fora and relevant organisations. Including through operational coordination and trusted information exchanges in accordance with the relevant... This is by design. A non-binding, aspirational treaty with lofty goals, signed by more than 50 countries and companies, along with 10 tech giants, can't really afford to make concrete commitments. So given this... What does it mean in practice for preventing another live-streamed terrorist attack? He'd been posting pictures on Twitter of a stash of weapons and said that he would even stream the attack online. I spoke with three experts to find out, starting with one of the call's principal architects, the Prime Minister's Special Representative for Cyber and Digital, Paul Ash. To make the progress tangible, I asked Paul to outline the interventions or actions that would take place today that did not take place on March 15th if, God forbid, a similar attack were to occur. First, companies are are much better prepared than they were in 2019, both to identify content uh, and to um, classify it and respond quickly across multiple platforms. One of the things that happened in um, the Christchurch attacks, of course, was that the content uh, began on one platform being live streamed and then spread across a range of platforms very, very quickly. The second is that governments are much better prepared for this now than they were before. Uh, And we have much better um, um, connections and linkages into the key companies. The other major advance since March 15 is the reformation of the Global Internet Forum to Counterterrorism, or the GFCT, which was founded by Facebook, Twitter and Google in 2017, but since the Christchurch call has become an internationally active, independent NGO. 
My name is Nick Rasmussen, and I'm the inaugural executive director of the Global Internet Forum to Counter Terrorism, or GIFCT. Nick says the combination of an agreed crisis plan and clear communication between governments and tech companies has improved the way we respond to online terrorism. An incident of this sort, of this sort, would trigger a GIFCT member company um, to hash, to apply a digital signature to the key offending material, and to make that hash. Um, available very quickly in real time to other member companies so that they could match that against their own holdings and again aggressively and proactively look for ways to identify that content rather than waiting for users or others to bring it to their attention. And understanding how terrorists are adapting to an online world is crucial according to French media ambassador Henri Verdier, the one with the self-described lovely French accent. Okay, no, maybe not that French. First, I want to mention that more and more we see that the production of um, online content is a complete part of the terrorist action. The action is designed to, to spread. So by tackling this content, first we, we limit the impact of the terrorist action. We protect, don't forget this, uh, memory of the victims, for example, and we avoid next actions. So the, the emergency response is very important, very, very important and very complicated. The French ambassador says the new Christchurch call protocols help navigate a legal and technical maze in times where every second is crucial. If an attack occurs uh, somewhere, for example, uh, Confluence saint honorine in France, we have to discover the content, we have to find the, the person who is in charge, and we have 10 or, or 20 different companies. We have to be sure that this content won't be republished after the Christchurch attack, we discovered that quite every minute there were an attempt to repost the video. Every minute, like this. And so we have to be sure that the companies will uh, cooperate. And France tragically put all this to the test recently. Sadly, in France, we had this horrific attack of uh, the teacher, Mr. Samuel Paty, which was beheaded. And um, the picture of the head uh, was published uh, on, on Twitter uh, at first. And uh, we, we really slow the spread of this uh, picture and then it was removed. So that's an example that sadly we, we had the opportunity to, to verify in France. But according to our own chief censor, David Shanks, the man chiefly responsible for tackling these issues in New Zealand, the rapid takedown of extreme content is treating a symptom, not the cause. The business model um, for any digital platform is engagement. And the evidence base is, is broadening out that actually the material that's most engaged with is the material that engages our emotions the most. Anger is a very powerful engagement um, emotion that can drive kind of um, engagement with content or distribution and sharing of content. And algorithms don't care about that. They don't care about what emotions are being aroused necessarily. They just care about the engagement. And I, I think if the evidence base is increasingly clear that that can be a problem in, in potentially unpredictable ways. If we're just concentrating on responding to the, the you know, online crisis events or events like March 15 or kind of the extreme end of harmful material proliferating, we're missing a significant trick because that is literally concentrating on what's happening at the bottom of the cliff. But our allies urge caution about algorithm changes being the silver bullet which can purge the internet of extremism. Be careful with the magic word algorithm and the algorithmic issues. We have to face 
lots of issues. Filter bubble and echo chambers are design issues <laughs> in social network. And to think about a better design, we need to, to respect d- different issues. Closer to home, a more concrete piece of legislation than the Christchurch call is making its way through Parliament. The films, videos and publications classification, urgent interim classification of publications and prevention of online harm, amendment bill, a clunky title, but is currently before select committee and seeks to, among other things, make live streaming of objectionable content a criminal offence. Authorising an inspector of publications to issue a takedown notice for objectionable online content. And controversially, conferring additional authority on the chief censor. So, speaking to Shanks himself, I asked what his new powers could look like. Um, the internet doesn't respect national sovereignty or kind of the laws of New Zealand in terms of, you know, kind of what content is, is distributed. Um, we had um, sites in the aftermath of March 15 which were essentially reveling in, in what had happened. Once an obscure website, HN evolved into a place where people celebrate mass shooters in real time. On some of these um, online communities, they were teaching each other how to adjust and adapt the live stream video to, to beat the algorithmic kind of checks and balances that the, the, the big industry platforms were putting in place. One of the responses that the bill has to that is to provide an explicit takedown power and authorization for um, response agencies in this country to go, that's not okay, please take that down. Some of these niche sites and communities, they're not going to respect a, a request to take this material down. They don't care. They regard themselves as beyond the reach of just about any nation's um, regulatory requirements. So what do we do then? And one of the provisions that the bill um, op- opens up the possibility of is for having some kind of filter. But what would that filter look like from a practical standpoint? We have. Uh, a child exploitation filter that has been operating for around about a decade, which is a voluntary filter operated um, in conjunction with most internet service providers in this country. And and I think overwhelmingly most New Zealanders would be happy about the fact that sites that specialise in child exploitation and abuse are are just not accessible. But of course, that raises a lot of other questions. What's the framing of that? Who decides? What's the um, rights of review and appeal? How transparent is this? Is there independent governance and oversight of the operation of any such filter? Um, Which is the discussion that's happening right now before Parliament. And that debate is quickly becoming fiery. This bill unnecessarily, arbitrarily reduces the fundamental freedoms of New Zealanders. I've been a little bit jumpy about this. And creating unlikely allies across the political spectrum. So the Greens will not be voting for this legislation at first reading. The key sticking point is the concept of a New Zealand-wide internet filter for extreme content, as Shanks described, which everyone from ACT and National to the Greens say is a dangerous can of worms to open. We don't actually know what we're dealing with here. There's no parliamentary oversight whatsoever on the kind of internet filter system that could end up being created, not only by this government, but by a government in the future. And that, Mr Speaker, that unbridled power of regulation is towards far too much authoritarianism for my liking. This is overly invasive regime that encroaches on the rights of individuals. 
The example that I like to quote is the murder of George Floyd in America. George Floyd's death has forced the country to look in the mirror and ask hard questions about racial justice and equality. If live streaming and the death of a particular individual could be deemed objectionable, that live streaming that was actually shot by public to show the brutality of the police action against an innocent man would be banned. Shanks acknowledges and welcomes the debate, but says the status quo simply cannot stand. Well, I'm always critically aware that what I'm dealing with is not a black and white proposition and it's a balanced proposition. So I think I'm, I'm up for the debate. If the people have criticisms of any proposal for change in the space, uh, I, I think they should step forward and, and let that be known. Where that becomes a problem, in my view, is when the discussion becomes binary. That's something I, I think we're seeing increasingly in kind of political debate right across the spectrum. It's either, you know, you're totally against this or, you know, you're, you're all in and you're all for it and it's almost not, not reasoned through. It's a, it's a political, it's a statement of who you are, what you believe in. I strongly believe we can make things better than they are now, and we must do. If you look through history, the human species has a, has a habit of devising these incredible powerful tools which are also incredibly profitable um, and you know and it's great and um, you know it propels it propels us all forward but there's usually a downside the more powerful the tool there is um, and, and we tend not to kind of fully appreciate that until some of those harms actually manifest and I think there's there's some signals that we're seeing that now. Supplementary Question is written and hosted by me, Finn Hogan, for NewsHub Nation. This episode was produced and edited by Sam Harvey. Hannah Brown is our executive producer. Both this podcast and our televised program are made with the support of New Zealand On Air. If you liked this episode, and since you're listening to the end, it would seem you did, why not help us out by subscribing and leaving us a review? It's a huge help. For more, visit newshub.co.nz forward slash podcasts. I'll see you next time.